The following program is brought to you with support from the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, our gaze is directed to important elections in both Brazil and Uruguay, with voting this weekend. But before we get to our political discussion, Gabriela Conchola is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The United States agreed to team this week with one of its longtime adversaries, Cuba, in the fight against the deadly Ebola virus. Cuba has committed and trained more medical personnel to work in West Africa against the Ebola epidemic than any other country. Cuba has committed more than 400 doctors and nurses to the fight. Former Cuban dictator Fidel Castro called for the two countries to set aside differences so the Cuban medical personnel could use U.S. facilities, transportation, and supplies. The U.S. State Department agreed the countries could find common ground in this health crisis. Bill Leogrand, an expert on Cuba at American University, says the countries work together in relief efforts in Haiti, and this unexpected alliance could also produce good results. They have uh, groups of medical personnel that are especially trained for this kind of rapid deployment into a crisis. And the United States, of course, is already over there building infrastructure uh, for the health systems that really don't have very much. So far, Ebola has killed almost 5,000 people in this outbreak, most of those in three West African countries. But the World Health Organization predicts 20,000 cases worldwide by next month if more resources are not put into the fight. The Ebola virus kills about 70% of those who catch the disease. Mexico's attorney general ordered the arrest of the mayor of Iguala, where 43 university students went missing. Attorney General Jesus Morio Caram says the mayor ordered police to intercept the protesting students before they could disrupt a speech by the mayor's wife. Police then opened fire on the buses the students were traveling in. One bus tried to escape but was captured by the police and taken to the Iguala police station. Morio Caram says the mayor, José Luis Abarca, bribed the police to allow local gangs to infiltrate the force. The police then turned the students over to the gang and ordered their disappearance. Mexican authorities have found various mass gravesites near the city and are running DNA tests to see if the bodies belong to any of the missing students. Iguala's mayor, Abarca, remains on the run and eluding the country's national police. The Dominican Republic mourns the death of Oscar de la Renta. The Dominican Republic declared Wednesday an official day of mourning for the late fashion designer. De la Renta was born in the Dominican Republic, but made his name in the United States in the 60s. He died at the age of 82 after years of battling cancer. De La Renta is remembered for dressing nearly every U.S. First Lady, including Jackie O, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. The pressure of a presidential re-election race may be getting to Dilma Rousseff, the president of Brazil. She had a dizzy spell on live television. Rousseff had to sit down after a grueling debate with opponent Aécio Neves. 
Rosef became visibly dizzy and ill during a post of a interview with Brazilian television network SBT. The 66-year-old president told the interviewer she felt her blood pressure had dropped. Rosef was treated for lymphatic cancer in 2009. We'll have more on the presidential elections in a moment. For Latin Pulse, I'm Gabriela Canchola. Thanks, Gabriela. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Houston, Texas. Behind our loyal listeners in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., Houston was the city with the second-most listeners this week. Thank you very much. Now, on to our program about this weekend's elections in South America. And we start with Brazil. President Joma Rousseff of the Workers' Party is in the fight of her political life against challenger Aécio Neves of Brazil's Social Democracy Party, the country's conservative party. Some polls have Neves leading the race, but most polls show no one has more than a two-point lead. We turn to Professor Cristina Pacheco at the State University of Paraíba in Brazil for her analysis. She joined us via Skype from Brazil to talk about what she called the most competitive Brazilian presidential race in a generation. I'm closest to Dilma. (laughs) I tend to vote for her, not for Aécio Neves. But uh, I would say um, we don't know. Nobody knows. So it's almost like an even, right? Do you say even, right? Yeah. Most of the polls that that I have seen say that they are separated by maybe only two percentage points. Yeah, it's amazing. But it changed a little bit like from yesterday to today. Dilma increase a little bit, IS increase a little bit. If you change like Datafolia, Ibope, if you change these uh, sources of uh, of the pools, you change the numbers. But in a little bit, it's a little bit different. So we never know. I'm quite essential. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about Aesio Neves because we haven't talked about him very much on the program. Okay. He has surged in the polls just at the end of the last round, and he was not doing so well, um, so competitively with with President Rousseff before. Why this surge in the last month? Yeah, I would say um, when Marina left, Marina Silva was a strong candidate. Not as strong as these two candidates, but we actually, in the first round, do you say the first round? Okay, the first round of the election. Um, Marina Silva and Aécio Neves, we were not sure about which one was going to win. But after um, Marina left, she lost, like she got the third place, uh, she support Aécio Neves. So I think this is, a, and actually Aécio Neves is getting a lot of supports right now. He's, he's, he, He's able to get a lot of supports from the other candidates, which Dilma is not. She's not as good as Lula used to be in this, uh, in this um, politics itself, you know, to um, conform alliances with, the other, with other different parties. She's not as good as uh, IS Neves has been so far. And she's not as strong in the speech, like in the people-to-people debate, you know what I mean? Like when she goes outside, she's not as charismatic as Aécio Neves. What are we to expect from Aécio Neves as far as the themes, the policies that he's promoting? Is he going to take Brazil back to policies that we saw before 
Lula. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, this question is quite interesting because usually PSDB, the Social Democrat Party here, which is has Cardoso as predecessor, a strong president we had before Lula, he was able to increase, um, I would say, very well, very well our economy, you know, uh, took out took us out from the inflation and then Dilma and then Lula partially, uh, but I would say much more than we expect from the work party. Lula was able to keep with this political economy process that uh, Cardoso implemented. Uh, um, from what we expect as electors, we expect that Aécio Neves implement um, again um, the, the main ideas of Cardoso administration, which means basically uh, decrease the size of the states, open a little bit more the market, became much more competitive in international terms, but not pay so much attention to the social terms like um, education and health. He's not, he is not his main goal, usually. That's what, what he's criticized not for not doing, that Lula was um, and Dilma, they were quite able to do it. But they were able to do it in one way because of Cardoso, which stabilized the economy, right? For eight years. So we expect him to decrease the size of state and implement much more infrastructure and open the markets for it. So Aesio Neves of the Social Democratic Party, he really appeals to the business class. We even saw in the past week The Economist, an international magazine come out with saying why Brazil needs a change as its <laughs> cover story. And so you, is it truly that the business and financial classes and those with international business and financial connections are really campaigning on behalf of Nevis? Yeah, that's what we, we are seeing, right? Yeah. Usually <laughs> there is uh, um, information here usually are that Lula and Dilma because they came from the work party, right? Work party, you labor party, I would say, right? Labor workers party, party, yes. Yeah, workers party. Okay, the workers party uh, was not expect to support so much the business class. Okay, they didn't support that uh, class so much, but they they support much more the bankers. They gave much more profit to the bankers. Then we, uh, as analysts, expect they do, you know, they would. And now Nevis, uh, he's um, usually the social party, social democrat party, um, opens the, liberalized the economy much more than, than the, works, the workers' party. They don't look as much as to social and health. I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying this is the strategy, usually. And we see Aécio Neves, he did the same thing with Minas Gerais. He, he implemented a lot of infrastructure um, resources, you know. He implement, uh, make it much more able to bring um, investments to Minas Gerais than um, he did in the education, like basic level of education. He did that. And that's so, the state where he was the governor, yes? Yeah, before he candidates. Yeah. And he was elected, uh, I think he was considered the best governor of, the, of Brazil. You mentioned that Nevis's weak points is, is on the social policies and that he has not been 
promoting education and has not been promoting health care. But yet those two themes are the themes that propelled the protesters out into the streets to campaign against President Rousseff. And, and so there are obviously a lot of folks in Brazil who feel that no one is doing a good enough job yeah. on those two areas. Yeah, the protests in July, June, July last year, right? These are the yes, ones. Yes, but then there were some also during the World Cup, too. Yeah. This, uh, this During the World Cup, I would not mention in terms, because it was not uh, expressed, like the, the June, July last year, which were really mm. strong. June and July last year, yeah, it, was the, it begins from, basically from students, they were complaining, so you're right. They were complaining about free pass. They wanted free pass. They were wanted to be able from uh, students from public um, schools in Brazil, which means lower class, right? Because middle class in Brazil pays to have a good education. Um, we have a little bit of good education uh, from public um, high schools. We don't have, like, United States, a strong high school, Right. But middle class, uh, in order to be able to give your son uh, a future, you need to put the middle, uh, need, middle class need to put their sons and their, their children in uh, um, private schools, right? There is no other option. Otherwise, you are not able to get a profession. You're not going to be able to have a, a, a graduate degree anyhow. Uh, so they were they they were protesting against Dilma. Yeah, that's true. So that's some of our contacts in Brazil have said this has been a very tough campaign, rough. Some people would even call it dirty, and how it's been um, um, put forth in the media. I don't think it was tough at all. I think um, first of all, the works party has to be has to be punished because of what they did. There was a lot of corruption during Lula administration. The funny thing is the worker party, workers' party, they sell, they sold a different idea for a long time. We are different. We are not corrupted as politicians are in Brazil. And then it, turned out, it turns out they were not different at all. So would your prediction be that if the workers' party loses, it's because of their record with corruption? I would say so, yeah, but not not only corruption, but I would say it's a strong as we we as we see in the in the news is a strong fact. It's something that uh, has has left um, a stamp on Works Party because they saw they sold a different idea, you know. So I think they they need to be um, punished really strong in the, in the. In the elections, as I told you, although I look at Dilma more sympathetic than Nevis, we are not being able to prove anything from Nevis as governors, as governor of Minas Gerais. So uh, I think in this sense, election has been unfair, you know. Thank you so much, <laughs> Professor Cristina Pacheco of the State University of Paraíba in Brazil. Join us via Skype from Brazil. Thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse. Thank you, Rick. I'm right now from uh, talking to you from João Pessoa, a beautiful city in the northeastern of Brazil. And I invite you to visit me here. Enjoy our summer. <laughs> Thanks so much. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life. An amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. 
Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Polls in Uruguay show another competitive presidential race set for this weekend. Former President Tabari Vasquez leads the Frente Amplio, the broad front, Uruguay's ruling party. Vasquez is ahead in the polls, but predictions say he won't have enough votes to win in the first round. His main competitors are Luis Alberto Lacachepo of the National Party, Uruguay's traditional center-right party, and Pedro Bartaberry of the Colorado Party. We turn to Professor Francisco Panisa of the London School of Economics for his analysis. Panisa is the author and co-author of several books, including The Triumph of Politics, The Return of the Left in Venezuela, Bolivia, and Ecuador. He has also written extensively on Uruguay. He joined us via Skype from London in the UK. But I'm wondering, as we talk about the wider view of the left in Latin America, if this election in Uruguay and the elections also going on this weekend in Brazil are markers for where the left is going in Latin America? Yes and no, um, because um, obviously the, the two elections, as we hopefully will be discussing in a moment, particularly the case of Uruguay, they are really on a knife edge. So um, we, we can wake up on Monday and say that, that the left is uh, very, doing very well in Latin America and, and full on, or we may wake up on Monday and say, well, the left is, is in trouble in Latin America. And this could be uh, regarding a margin of maybe one, two percentage points in each country. So it's, 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 it's a very tricky answer that. So let's um, move then directly to Uruguay, where the former president, Tabare Vasquez, is uh, running not for re-election because that's not allowed in Uruguay, but running again and seems not to be able to have enough support to have to finish this in the first round, that he's likely to go to a second round if polls are to be believed. Yeah, uh, there were a, a battery of polls uh, published uh, effectively yesterday evening, and they all show that it's almost certain that he will not uh, have enough votes to get the, to the 50% plus threshold that he would need to win a straight victory. So it's, it's very, very likely that it will be a runoff in, in about a month's time. And his likely opponent is uh, the young um, son of a president, Lacachepo, no? Exactly. Is it... In, in Uruguay, uh, political careers are, are very long and very long in the making. Uh, and you can gather that if you look at the age of uh, Tabari Vasquez, is, I believe, 74. Uh, Pepe Mujica, the current president, is, I think, something like 76. And if you look at the cabinet, they are all well in their 60s and their 70s. So all of a sudden you have a 41, I think, year old challenger and this uh, is one of the reasons where uh, it, it has been a little bit tricky for for Vasquez to win a straight victory. What are the themes, if any, that Lacachepo has used to uh, bring himself up in the polls? And even if he doesn't win in this election, as you said, he's he's making um, and setting the foundation for these themes for years to come. One obviously has been the if you look at, at, at the personalities, because after all, this is a presidential election. He obviously played his youth against. Uh, the age of his his opponent. Even he didn't sort of made it explicit, but it's, it's, it's pretty evident that this has been a factor. Uh, 
re regarding the election, uh, it is a typical Downsian election in the sense that is an election that is uh, being fought to conquer the very narrow uh, middle ground in which the majority of the undecided voters are. So what they have done is that he has, he is uh, from the tradition, from the fraction of his party, uh, we can call it perhaps a liberal conservative, uh, but in, 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 in his political program, he has moved very much to the center. And there is a considerable overlapping actually between the programs of the, the two main parties that are contained in the election. Are there any topics that actually distinguish the two main candidates in the Uruguayan election? I think mainly the election has been fought in terms of the performance of the outgoing government. And there, uh, the government has uh, a couple of obvious weaknesses, which are basically in education and crime. Crime, obviously, a factor that is uh, important everywhere in Latin America these days. Uh, on the economy, there is relatively very, very little between the two, can the, the two, the two contenders. As, as uh, La Calle Po has said, this is not a foundational election. There is a lot of, there will be whoever wins the election, there will be a lot of continuity in economic in economic policy, and also in, even in these sort of more contentious issues like security and education, uh, there is a, a reasonable degree of consensus on what needs to be done. The question is who will be in a better position to do it. Our listeners may not know what actually needs to be done in this case in Uruguay. So can you spell that out a bit for us, please? In in terms of crime, um, the Perhaps there is, 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 is certain the major difference. Um, the, there has been in, in, in Uruguay the, the age of criminal responsibility is 18. Um, the center right parties, that is, uh, the my contender, the, the, the particular La Calle Puj, there are other, other, other people within the party that not agree, and the other party, the Colorado party, they have been promoting a, a, a plebiscite to lower the age of criminal responsibility to 16. Uh, and the Frente Amplio has been very much again there. In, in that is a little bit the sort of traditional left-right uh, dividing, which is the, 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 the right wing is, is more hardline. But we are talking in relative terms there. Uh, regarding the education, it has been a very, very difficult process to reform. And I think that Anybody who has worked on education and policy everywhere in the world knows how difficult it is to reform education systems. Uh, there is, again, a question that is uh, very common in, in these processes, a strong resistance from, from the unions to any reform, uh, very obstinate, obstinate um, resistance. Uh, and, and so uh, in, in, in education, I don't think there is a significant difference between the, 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 the two camps. It's a matter of who will be in a better position to implement uh, reform that will give more uh, autonomy to, 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 to the schools, who would be introduce some forms of testing, uh, reform of the curriculum, these sort of things. Is it also a question of equity in the Uruguayan system, or does everyone have a potential to move upward in the educational system there? It is, I think, highly unequal because uh, effectively the the public, the, the public sector, the state sector, uh, the, is, is, is much worse than the private sector. And of course, uh, there are the poor that, that, that on the majority, they send their kids to the, to the public sector. So you have a great divide 
and I, I would argue that the educational system, uh, rather than integrate people to, to the system, is uh, reproduces the inequality that are in society. You said that uh, this election, at least the first round, may be somewhat of a resolution on um, and a referendum on the Mujica administration. Um, some point to the the issue of marijuana and how he, um, Pepe Mujica, pushed those new rules on marijuana, that that has not been as popular with the Uruguayan public as um, his party, the Broad Front, may have thought. No, it, it, it hasn't, uh, and all the opinion polls show that it, a majority of the people are against, but um, in, in, it is, I, I think that even uh, Tabari Vasquez has serious reservation. You uh, perhaps it's good to know that he, in his private life, he's, he's a doctor and he's a specialist in cancer treatment. And during his first mandate, he uh, campaigned. And one of the main, I would argue, main achievement of his campaign was uh, to um, restrict um, public smoking in public places. So a very, very strong anti-tobacco legislation that completely changed the, 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 the smoking culture in Uruguay. And you can imagine, even if you can argue the pros and cons of marijuana against against cigarettes, uh, he's not particularly happy about uh, this initiative and has expressed certain reservation if he was going to continue in one way or the other with that. But having said that, it hasn't been an electoral issue at all. I don't think that nobody would decide um, their vote in terms of uh, of this particular um, legislation. Lakashe Poe earlier this week did come out and promised that if he was elected that that he would move forward to repeal those marijuana laws. And we have talked on this program before about the irony of the fact that that Uruguay has the toughest tobacco laws in the world, or some of the toughest tobacco laws, and the most liberal laws when it comes to marijuana. Absolutely. That's what I was pointing about. That's the difference in personalities. And I guess in, 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 in some other thing be, between Vasquez and, and, and Mujica, uh, Mujica is, if you want to qualify as a kind of left libertarian. Vasquez is a much more orthodox president. And of course, as I mentioned before, um, because very much in terms of his uh, of his professional background, uh, the, the anti-tobacco law was, was very, very important for him. So we have not talked much in this interview about the third party, the Colorado party, one of the two traditional parties in Uruguay. Uh, do they have any chance to get to the second round in this election? No, unless the, the, the polls are terribly long, uh, terribly wrong. Sorry, uh, they, but they will be decisive if there is a, 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 a second round. Uh, who the people that uh, are likely to vote the Colorado Party, which would be about something like 15% of the electorate, according to the polls, will vote. And there is an interesting question there. Uh, traditionally, the Colorado Party. Uh, was the all the parties in Europe have sort of quite broad uh, ideological spectrum, even the, the Frente Amplio. But anyway, the Colorado Party has been traditionally uh, a social democratic party, uh, and many of the people that have voted Colorados in the past now vote the Frente, which again is, is a social democratic party in, in, in my view. Uh, but now the party has been controlled by a much more conservative faction, and. It, many people would think that uh, old and traditional Colorados, social democratic Colorados, will rather vote uh, the Frente Amplio than, than La Calle. And so what haven't we discussed that you think is important going into the 
first round of voting this weekend in Uruguay. The thing that will be decided in this first round is whether the Frente Amplio will have control of parliament, if they, they will have absolute majority in parliament. Uh, the, 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 the opinion polls, the latest one, show that this quite unlikely. I think that the most likely scenario uh, would be um, in a month's time that the Frente Amplio will win the presidency but will have no parliamentary majority. And that will, of course, require some kind of maybe coalition government. Thank you so much, Dr. Francisco Paniza of the London School of Economics, joining us via Skype from London on Latin Pulse today. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. That concludes our program on elections in South America. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, producer Jim Singer and associate producer Gabriela Canchola. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support from Webster University and through the support of Link TV. This program is copyright 2014, Los Rocas Productions. The preceding program was brought to you with the support of the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University.